following is an encore episode of the Biz Tools Podcast. Any email addresses, web URLs, or other time-specific information may no longer apply. Please visit davidaspect.com for more information. Thanks for listening. Biz Tools Podcast, Episode 11. Welcome to the Biz Tools Podcast, practical advice for today's busy business leader. And now your hosts, David Speck and Jerry Frentress. Welcome to the Biz Tools Podcast. I'm Jerry Frentress. And I'm David Speck. And we are your hosts for this episode of the Biz Tools Podcast. David, well, I know what this is about. <laughs> Today's day, we have an interview. You have an interview of an author, speaker, trainer, a guy that... Uh, well, you tell them. We have Bob Berg, the co-author of the book, The Go-Giver, um, with us today. Um, I, I was uh, had the pleasure of interviewing him just recently about The Go-Giver. And this is one of those few moments where I get starstruck because Bob's kind of one of my heroes. He, I, I, I read The Go-Giver several years ago. It was a book that was given to me by my father. And it really changed my outlook on sales and business as a whole. I'd always been in benefits-driven sales, but this book completely changed my perspective. The, the act of giving and, 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 and how you give more in value than you receive in payment and, and all of these things that are the lessons of this book really changed my thinking and ramped things up quite a bit. And, and I've tried to run my businesses like that ever since. Uh, the lessons that you hear in, in the interview and I read it in the book changed me, caused me to re-review my uh, personal uh, goals and uh, how I do things personally and professionally. I recommend the reading of the book. Yes. It's fun, easy. It is. Yeah, For it's... those of you that don't like to read very much, this is a, uh, a one evening uh, little book, and it's fun, interesting, and it gets to the point, and you like it. So let's go to the interview. Well, I'm here with Bob Berg. Bob, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, David. How are you? Oh, things are bright and sunny here the first day of spring in northwest Louisiana. <laughs> and how are things? Are you down in Florida today? Yeah, sunny and warm down here as well. Well, fantastic. Um, Bob, I'll kind of give you a little bit of background. Uh, the Go-Giver is one of those books that literally changed my entire perspective on what I did. Uh, it was given to me by my father, and after reading it, I'd always been into be in benefits-driven sales, but this really kind of took it even to another step. So could you kind of give us a little bit of a, uh, an overview about the premise of The Go-Giver? Sure. The, uh, the premise itself is simply that shifting one's focus, and, and this is really the key, shifting one's focus from getting to giving. And in this case, when we say giving, we simply mean constantly and consistently providing value to others. And that doing so is not only a, a nice way to live life, but a very financially profitable way as well. One of the things that I saw in the book, too, you, you decided to take it in a parable format versus just a, a, a read you can use, you know, A, B, C, D set of instructions. H how do you feel about that? Did, was that, you know, is that the, the standard in things like this? Well, I was very fortunate to get to work with a brilliant writer and storyteller by the name of John David Mann, who I had known only as a uh, as uh, the editor-in-chief of a magazine I used to write for. And John's a brilliant editor and a brilliant writer. I, I knew about his background because I knew of some of the work he had done before. 
uh, even though most people in the mainstream didn't really know of him. So as I was beginning to to put, you know, to sort of write the the characters for the book and the the basic outline and so forth, I really understood that writing a, a, a parable because I'd only written um, how to books before, and though I loved reading parables, which is what sort of gave me the idea for this. And I knew that not only was, was writing a work of fiction outside my, my um, comfort zone, which doesn't bother me, I can work outside my comfort zone, but as John Maxwell would say, it was outside my strength zone. It was just not something I, I knew that I was not going to be able to do justice to what this story could be and what the lessons could be. So I, so I asked John... Uh, if he would be the lead writer and storyteller, and uh, we met about it, and uh, uh, you know, it, it took him about three weeks, but he said, you know, I think we've got something here. So uh, I was very fortunate to be able to work with John on this. Uh, he's a great guy, and uh, it, it was a real, a terrific uh, collaboration. In the book, the main character, Joe, is always seems to be at the beginning, he was really frustrated. He seemed the, the, the typical go-getter type salesman, but yet everything seemed to be going wrong and he wasn't arriving to his goals. And we in the sales business, a lot of times, you know, we our, our sales managers tell us to get, go after with, with tenacity, going after the, the goal. Is being a go-getter necessarily a, a, a bad thing? Uh, no, actually, being a go-getter is a great thing. We love go-getters. Uh, why? Because go-getters take action. And, uh, you know, David, you're a business person. I am, and everyone listening to this is. And we know that you can have the best thoughts, uh, the, 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 the greatest ideas, the most sincere intention. But unless action is put into the mix, nothing is going to happen. So we love go-getters. In fact, one of my favorite books in the world is a parable by Peter Kine entitled The Go-Getter. Look, uh, fortunately, and, and, and a really cool thing is that there's no, there is no natural division between a go-getter and a go-giver. Many go-getters are also go-givers, and every go-giver is also a go-getter. The opposite of a go-giver is a go-taker, <laughs> and that is... You know, sort of that person who feels almost entitled, if you will, to take, 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 without having added value to the person, to the process, to the to the situation. And well, we all know people like that, and they can be good people. They tend to be very frustrated, though, in that they they tend to not achieve the level of success they feel they deserve. And even those rare times when they do, it typically doesn't last long because it hasn't been built on a, a solid foundation. Uh, you know, in the story, Joe was described as, you know, a go-getter at first, and he was frustrated, but not because he was a go-getter. It's because at the beginning, you'll remember everything. You know, he was a go-taker. Everything about Joe, he was very eye-focused or me-focused. It was all about him. Uh, you know, he had a quota to meet. And, hey, I always say when I speak to my live audiences, uh, one of the things I, I practically always say, David, is nobody is ever going to buy from you because you have a quota to meet. That's absolutely right. As a matter of fact, um, one of the things we teach a lot of the time is when it becomes you focused, you'll sell off a whole lot less than when it becomes client focused. If, um, in the book also, let's let's talk about it because we've kind of brushed on it. You, you call the five laws of stratospheric success. And of course, law number one is the law of value. Tell us a little bit about what the law of value is. 
Well, the law of value says that your true worth is determined by how much more you give in value than you take in payment. Now, when you first hear that, it, it sounds kind of counterintuitive, uh, maybe even a bit counterproductive. I mean, how do you give more in value than you take in payment and survive in your business, never mind thrive? I mean, it kind of sounds like a recipe for bankruptcy, you know, sort of some new agey sort of la-la <laughs> thing. You know, give more in value than you take in mean, things will work out. No, it's, it's nothing like that at all. We simply have to understand the difference between price and value. Price is a dollar figure. It's a dollar amount. It's finite. It is what it is. Value, on the other hand, is the relative worth or desirability of a thing to the end user or beholder. In other words, what is it about this thing, this product, service, concept, opportunity, idea, that brings with it so much worth or value that someone will exchange their money for it and be ecstatic that they did while you make a very healthy profit. Very quick example would be, let's say you hire an accountant to do your taxes and this accountant charges you $1,000. Well, that's literally his fee or, or literally his price. And oh, But what value does he provide you in exchange? Well, he saves you $5,000 on your taxes he saves you countless hours of work to free you up what you do best, more productively, and what's probably more fun. Uh, and he provides you with the security and peace of mind of knowing it was done correctly. So we see here that while price is finite, value can be both concrete in terms of the $5,000 you were saved, as well as conceptual, uh, the peace of mind, which is probably worth more value, more than you know, even the money. And so what he did is he gave you well over $5,000 in value or use value in exchange for a $1,000 price or cash value, if you will. So he gave you more in value than he took in payment, so you feel great about it, and he made a very healthy profit, which he should. And it all comes down to, and it happens because of the focus he put into providing value to you. See, money is simply an echo of value. It's the thunder to value's lightning, which simply means that the value must come first and the money is simply a, a direct and very natural result of the value you've provided. You know, in a free market-based economy, and, and we're certainly nowhere near as free market as we should be in this country, but to the degree that most of us still operate within a free market environment and that nobody is forced to buy from us, the only way people will do business with us, refer us to others, what have you, is when they see more that, that they are receiving more value than what they're exchanging for it. And that's the way it should be. One of my mentors, Harry Brown, used to say, in a free market, profit is simply the result of, uh, of uh, pleasing another person. We need to bring value to the marketplace. We need to please the consumer. One of the things that I've noticed also, and maybe you have noticed it too, you know, The Go-Giver was originally published in 2007, and that was kind of before uh, social media and, and the engagement online really took off like it has in recent years. Have you seen the, the fact that the law of value has almost ramped up as a result of this immediate feedback that is out there online? You know, I think that's a great point. It, it also, social media allows us to provide more value to more people uh, just in, in sort of a different way. You know, it's always about the value that you can provide to others. Uh, you know, when, I, when we talk about the, the core principle of one of my 
former books, Endless Referrals, which we also talk about in Law 3 and The Go-Giver, in The Law of Influence, the, uh, the golden rule of business is all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust not to those computers they know, like, and trust. Exactly. It's always the person in front of the computer. So what we need to do with any type of social media is find the best way to provide value to those with whom we're communicating. And yes, the instantaneous feedback really makes it so that, you know, everybody has to be aware that, uh, that, that, that they're on the spot to always be providing value. And I think that's a great thing. Um, let's talk about the other um, four laws. Kind of give us a quick overview of what each one of them means without the law, giving the story away, of course. Okay, the, the law of compensation says that your income is determined by how many people you serve and how well you serve them. Uh, so where law number one says to give more in value than you take in payment, law number two tells us that the more people whose lives you add that kind of exceptional value to, the more money with which you'll be rewarded. Your accountant in the first example did a great job of giving more in value than he took in payment. So if um, if you're his client, you feel great about him, you do business with him again, and you'd probably refer him to others. And most of his other clients probably feel the same way. So our accountant is very quickly amassing what we call an army of personal walking ambassadors. And as he continues to add that kind of exceptional value to the lives of more and more people, his income will continue to grow and grow. And that's whether you're an accountant, a banker, a chiropractor, a dentist, whether you're a financial advisor or a realtor, you're selling computers, it doesn't matter. It's the same thing. Now, in the story, Nicole, the, uh, the um, CEO, told Joe, the protege, that law number one, as important as it is, the law of value, that represents only your potential income. It, your, your actual income is a function of impact, right. how many right. people's lives you touch with that exceptional value. So we can almost summarize laws one and two and say that exceptional value plus significant reach equals very high compensation. Now, oh, go ahead. One of the things that I, I've... Um... I don't know if you're familiar with Rabbi Daniel Lappin, but one of the things he always uh, that really stuck with me in his book, Thou Shalt Prosper, is that money is merely a tangible evidence that you have served someone else. And when you're talking about the law of compensation, you know, that you have to take action to do it. You know, you can provide value or convey value, but until you put action to that value, the compensation doesn't come. Exactly. And Rabbi Lappin's book was one of my all-time favorites. I, I love that book. Um, and yes, so we, we need to be able to effectively communicate our value to others. And that value needs to be communicated in a way that they understand it to be of value. Uh, I, I always like to say value is always in the eyes of the beholder. Again, in a free market-based economy, which Rabbi Lappin talked about in his book as well, the whole thing is pleasing the customer. Right. The cons right. This is what Adam Smith talked about in his book, Wealth of Nations. And so many people misunderstand his teaching into thinking that he was all about uh, big business. No, he wasn't. He was pro-consumer. He understood that capitalism, true free market capitalism, not cronyism where special favors are, are, are handed out, but true free market capitalism benefited the consumer. One of the things, too, that I believe uh, sometimes gets lost but is really ramped up as of late, and that is – 
a lot of times we now have to provide before we ask. In other words, we have to give value and give and, and to, to build that that relationship before yeah. we ask for payment for something else. There's so many um, sites, there's so many people out there now that are giving great content, giving great service for no compensation with the hopes, and, and happens more often than not, that people will see the value in that and then will be willing to pay for a higher level of that service or that product. Do you see that as well? Oh, yeah. Well, that's a great business strategy because when you can give away some value uh, so that people get to know who you are and they get to they get to, to trust you, they get to know that you know doing business with you is is going to be profitable for them, uh, then you know sure. And, and you know so when you do that, when you give away value like that beforehand, you've just got to make sure it's great spectacular value and then once they begin paying for the additional value, it needs to be even more so. Exactly. The bar keeps moving up and up and up and up. Exactly. Well, let's talk about the law of influence now. I'm a big, big fan of um, John Maxwell, as you are, and you know his famous statement, leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less, really plays into this law. Right. Well, he also says influence is everything. Yes. I love that because in the in the context in which he says that, absolutely true. See, inf what is influence really? When you think of it on a very, very basic level, David, influence is simply the ability to move a person or persons to a desired action, usually within the context of a specific goal. Now, there are people who try to influence or move people by pushing, being pushy, but that doesn't work so well. You know, you, you never hear people say, wow, that David, he is so influential. He has a lot of push with people. <laughs> no, they, they say David's very influential. He has a lot of pull with people. See, pull is an attraction. Uh, great influencers attract people to themselves and to their ideas, and they do that not through pushing but through pulling, gentle pulling. This is what elicits commitment rather than compliance. And when it comes to leadership and influence, I love what my – Great friend and one of my great mentors, Dondi Skumachi, says, she says, compliance will never take you where commitment can go. You know, yeah, great influencers, they accomplish great things with others, but it's always because they understand it's not about them. It's about those people whose lives they choose to touch. You know, great leadership is never about the leader. Great influence is never about the influencer, and great salesmanship is never about the salesperson. It's about the other person, and that's why, you know, uh, I love Dondi's teaching and Dr. Maxwell's teaching, and, and you know, it's just uh, such a, uh, you know, just such a, a, a neat thing when, when you can learn from mentors like that. For sure. <laughs> now, on the law of authenticity, um, my co-host, and he's, he's also my mentor, tells me all the time that we are in sales all the time and our number one product is ourselves. You know, and it gets back to people buy from who they know, like, and trust. And I believe that if you cannot be yourself, that you put on airs or you, or, or you're, you, 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 people see through that so fast and you only, the only way to have long-term success is to not only buy into what you're selling, but buy into yourself and be yourself when dealing with others. That, that's very important. The, the law of authenticity, uh, law number four in the book, says that the, the most valuable gift you have to offer is yourself. 
uh, in the story, Deborah Davenport shares that she learned a very important lesson in her career, early in her career, and that is that all the skills in the world, the sales skills, technical skills, people skills, as important as they are, and indeed, they are all very, very important, uh, they're also all for naught if you don't come at it from your true, authentic core. Now, on the other hand, when you do uh, what I like to call show up as yourself day after day, week after week, month after month, people feel very comfortable with you. They feel good about you. They know you. They like you. They trust you. Um, you know, as opposed to, as you were saying, that person who shows up not as themselves, as a, uh, I guess the, the, the correct Latin term would be bonus balonus, <laughs> you know, that person who's, and, and, and it just doesn't work out that way. Now, I, you know, I always loved what Gandhi said when he was, when he was defining integrity and he talked about it being as when everything you think and everything you feel and everything you say and everything you do are in alignment. Uh, I believe that congruency such as that, David, is very attractive to people and it draws people because they know that you are who you say you are. Now, it to me, this also begs the question, because if being authentic is, is not only good personally, but good for business, which I think we both agree it is, um, why would someone ever not show up authentically? And I, and I think the default answer would be, well, um, you know, because they're trying to pull one over on us or they're not honest or you're trying to get away with something. And, and certainly there are those people out there. I mean, we, you know, it's a big world. There's all sorts of people and we need to, to be careful of them. But I don't think that's usually the case. I really believe that 99 times out of 100, the real reason that a person doesn't show up truly authentic is because they don't have the self-confidence, the, the confidence in themselves to be authentic. Uh, it, it's difficult to show up authentically when you don't feel you have value to offer. And so it's very, very important through whether it's coaching, mentorship, study, uh, thinking, and so forth, to really understand what you bring to the table. Now, I believe that as human beings, we all have two types of value. There's intrinsic value. Uh, that's just the value from being born. We come with a lot of value. Uh, some of that is not is not necessarily something that's going to bring us financial reward, but it's still very, very valuable. As human beings, we're valuable. There's also what I call market value. And market value, David, would be those strengths, traits, talents, characteristics that allow you to bring value to the marketplace for which you will be financially rewarded. And we all have those assets of, of market value. With some people, they have a knack for numbers. With other, it's a, others, it's a head for business. Some people have a natural sense of empathy that allows them to connect with people on a very deep level uh, right away. Some people have this, and some people are great connectors, and some people are this or that. And, um, and when we understand that, now we're in a position to be able to, to, to work with that. What happens though, you know, we say, well, why don't people understand when they have this great value? Why don't they understand that? Because we're human beings and we're so close to ourselves, it's sometimes hard to really grasp what we bring to the table. And sometimes even those who are closest to us find it difficult because they're emotionally 
involved. Yeah, I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've been mentoring someone, I'm sure you've done the same, where I've asked this person what they're doing and they've, they've told me and it was really significant. And I said, wow, that is great. That, that's awesome. And their response was, oh, no, no, everyone knows how to do that or everybody does that. And they were not being, you know, falsely modest. They really didn't get it. They really didn't understand that what they brought to the table was so special. Why? Because whether it was a matter of their having a, a natural type of talent or uh, or they worked at uh, 10,000 hours of deliberate practice, as uh, Anders Ericsson talked about in that famous report that Gladwell talked about in, in uh, uh, Outliers and in Sean Colvin and uh, Jeffrey Colvin, rather, in uh, Talent is Overrated. Probably a combination of both. They had some natural abilities and they worked hard at it. Well, now it's just a part of them. And so they don't see, you know, we, as human beings, we come at the world from our own viewpoint, our own paradigm. So we just kind of think everybody can do that because we can do that. And so it's very important that we don't fall victim to that. And, that, and that's one good reason why we all need to have that person who cares about us, but is not so emotionally involved or attached to us that they can't really see us objectively. Do you think that maybe the role of leaders within a, a company, you know, whether it's a sales manager or the uh, uh, CEO, to to really show his team members their value so that they may actually believe it? I, I think not only is that a, a terrific point, David, but I think you see great leaders do that a lot. And, you know, there's leaders we can all look at in our power, not all, but well, I wish it was all, but it should be all, that we can look at from our past and say, you know what, this person not only made me feel better about myself by being around him or her, but they believed in me before I believed in me, and they pointed out why I should believe in myself. Now, this takes us down to the law of receptivity. You know, you. I think a lot of people have trouble with this particular law. Either they don't feel worthy to ask for it. You know, it's it's like that salesperson that you have that everybody in the community loves, but he he doesn't ever seem to be able to close very many sales. And kind of kind of give us the, the the rundown on the law of receptivity. Sure. Well, the law of receptivity says the key to effective giving is to stay open to receiving. Late in the story, Pindar, the main mentor, asked Joe, the protege, to um, breathe out and hold that breath to the count of 30. Well, Joe tried, but in you know a few seconds, 10 seconds, 11 seconds, he was struggling for air. He was gasping for breath, and Pindar said, what's the matter, Joe? Uh, can't do it. And Joe said, well, no, I, I can't just breathe out. I've got to breathe in as well. And Pindar jokingly said... Uh, well, Joe, what if I was to, to tell you that it's been medically proven that it's actually healthier to breathe out than it is to breathe in? Well, exactly. Joe laughed just like that. It's, well, that's silly. You, you can't do one or the other. You've got to do both. Well, exactly. We can't just breathe out. Uh, it, it, would, it would stop the flow. You know, we have to breathe in as well. We breathe out. We breathe in. We breathe out carbon dioxide. We breathe in oxygen, we breathe out, which is giving, we breathe in, which is receiving. The mistake so many of us make, and I think this is because of the sort of the, the paradigm of the world, the messages we get from the world, that which has such a lack consciousness to it, um, is that, and you, and you see this so often in, in TV shows and movies where there's usually two types of people. There are the good people who are generally portrayed as being poor, 
uh, and happy, right? They're always poor, but happy. And they're, they're constantly being stepped on, put down, pushed around, pushed over by who? The rich, the evil rich people, right? Who have no soul and are heartless. Look at the TV, the, the news stories you see on this. And, and while they are out there, of course they are. There's so many more people who are not like that at all. I mean, it's just, it's a shame that this is what people buy into. But it also plays into the psyche of many people. And whether it's a combination of upbringing, uh, environment, schooling, news media, television shows, movies, popular culture, cultural mores, what have you, people really have this, this, this internal and very unconscious lack uh, mindset. And so they, they look at, at giving and receiving as being two opposite concepts when it's not that at all. Giving and receiving are simply two sides of the very same coin, and they work best together. Uh, the key is not, you know, being a giver or a receiver. The key is to be a giver and a receiver. The way you do that, though, is to have your focus in the right place. The focus is on the giving, giving of value to others, to the marketplace, to individuals. Focus on the giving and allow the receiving. And when you don't allow the receiving, when you've given sufficiently in the right way to the right people, what happens is it is a matter of a, an, a worthiness issue. It's a matter of an unhealthy relationship with money. And so if that's the case, then, then, then uh, abundance must be studied. It must be learned because it will hold you back uh, if, if not. What are some of the... Um most uh, difficult responses have you gotten? Uh, you, the Go-Giver's been out, what, six years, eight, seven years? And it's, I would suspect that there was some pushback initially from, you know, because this kind of goes against, you know, the grain a little bit of uh, of what people, quote unquote, in sales have been taught, you know, for, for a long time. What are some of the things that, that, that you have seen in the, in the over the last several years, uh, the reaction to the go-giver as a, as a, as a outline for how um, business should be done? Well, the early adopters of the book were the successful people, the already successful people who've been living their lives this way. Uh, in retrospect, it's not surprising because the people, the, you know, these are not principles that John and I made up. These have been right. around for a long time. Uh, you know, how many people, though, when you look at them, are financially successful or successful in other areas of life? So the people who are already doing these things, these were our initial adopters. Then what they did, and, you know, they would write to us. We got plenty of emails from people, you know, who said, this is exactly how I built my business, blah, blah. You know, it's, I, it was just an amazing thing. We had a couple companies order 15,000 copies of the book because they wanted to spread that throughout their entire organizations, direct sales organizations. We've had corporations buying hundreds of these stuff. Why? Because they wanted to, to take what they already were doing, you know, what they already knew. But sometimes, you know how it is, it's easier for a third party who's maybe uh, co-authored a fun parable to come in and, and, and tell, tell the people the same thing that they've been trying to tell them themselves or to do it through a book. Then what happened was about six months later, we started getting more and more emails from people who told us how their small business had turned around for them and that they had been given the book by someone who was already very successful. So what happened was the early adopters read the book and kept started putting it into other people's hands who they knew. And that's really what happened. 
But there are always questions from people sort of misunderstanding the intent. Some people think, oh, the go-giver, are you saying just give yourself, oh, just give things away and, and things will take care of themselves? No, of course not. Absolutely not. Uh, it, you know, it's a business strategy and, and basically provide value to the, to the marketplace in the correct way and you're going to receive and you're going to receive plenty there's nothing conceptual about that there's nothing magical about that it's how the free marketplace actually works provide value receive value it's just two different types of value um uh questions such as well doesn't this take a lot longer than doing it the traditional way and my response to that is uh, you know, in other words, what they're what what they're really asking is, yeah, I can see how doing this go giver thing, focusing on providing value to others, is fine when you're already doing well. You know, and you don't need the money. But what right. if I need to make money right now? I mean, I've got to go and, cl and close a sale. I've got to. Well, there's a false premise at work here, and 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 that false premise is that uh, doing it the traditional way with a focus on yourself, not on bringing value to others, is somehow more effective. It's not. And so I would say to the person, imagine you're the prospect and I'm the salesperson. And I'm you know, doing the presentation and during this presentation, you can tell that I'm basically looking at you as a commission check. You can tell that I really don't care about you as much as I care about making the sale and about making money. And I'm basically willing to say or do anything for you to buy. Are you more likely or less likely to buy from me right now? And they'll laugh. We'll say, well, of course, I wouldn't buy from someone who did. No, of course not. Now, let's pretend I'm doing the presentation for you and you can tell that I'm absolutely, unabridgedly laser focused on providing value to you. I'm asking you questions to determine your needs. I'm asking questions and then listening so that I understand what you want, what you need, and what you, you desire. You can tell that my goal is to make your life better, happier, what have you, through the value of my product or service. Are you more likely or less likely to buy from me right now? And, and you can see their eyes kind of, you know, they now understand. That it's a totally false premise to think that uh, a self-focus is going to make you a better salesperson. And in a competitive marketplace... That will set a, set a salesperson up on a higher level than his, his or her competitors because it's not being done on a regular basis. The majority, well, I won't say the majority, but a great deal of, of people, especially in outside sales, are me focused because they just came out of a meeting that said we got to have X number of sales by the close of business today. So by giving value and by focusing on the, on the client, you, you are setting yourself apart to a place where you move from the salesperson to really being what we all tell new salespersons that we want them to become a consultant to that particular business. Sure. Exactly. You know, when you, when you really define selling, it comes down to this. It's finding out what your prospect wants, needs, or desires and helping them to get it. Well, Bob, oh. I really thank you today for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk about The Go-Giver. I know you've got a new book out, uh, Adversaries into Allies. Can you give us just a quick overview about what that book's about, and then we'll kind of wrap things up? Well, it's basically, uh, it's about people skills. <laughs> it's understanding that you could, you know, have a lot of great success attributes working for you. You know, you can be 
You can be very talented, of high character. You can be ambitious and kind and charitable, hardworking, thrifty, energetic, have a knack for numbers, a, a head for business. But if you can't move people to action, uh, it's very hard to be significantly successful. On the other hand, when combining benevolent intent and a learned skill set, you can find yourself attaining both business and personal satisfaction, and in such a way that you add exceptional value to everyone whose lives you touch. And I call this ultimate influence, which simply is the ability to get the results you want from others while helping them feel genuinely good about themselves, about the situation, and about you. Fantastic. Well, Bob, tell our listeners how we can learn more about you, how to find your books, and then we'll say goodbye. Sure. They can visit Berg.com, and that's B-U-R-G.com. While they're on the site, they can subscribe to my Influence and Success Insights. They'll, they will uh, have access to download chapter one of several of my books, including The Go-Giver and Adversaries into Allies. They can connect with me on social media right from that home page. They can subscribe to my blog. I've got about 500 archived articles. And uh, if they go to the, to the um, icon where it says the Go-Giver way, uh, that will take them to our member community for Go-Givers International, which is a lot of fun. That is awesome. We'll have links to all of that in the show notes. Bob, one more time, thank you so very much for joining us. Um, I really appreciate it that you've uh, taken time out to visit our podcast, and I pray that the things that are learned today will turn the folks that listen to us into go-givers all around. Well, David, I appreciate you and the just phenomenal value you bring to all of us, so keep up the great work, my friend. Thank you, sir. Wow, Dave, you had all the, the, the fun time with Bob Burke today. That was a wonderful interview. Thanks. I, I took away so much from that interview. I mean, I'd read the book and, and, and all, but but really hearing it again straight from Bob really kind of sent everything home and, and kind of reset me, if you will, on my excitement about being a go-giver. If, if I was back in the sales business uh, as a sales manager, I would consider taking this and playing it for my staff mm -hmm. and have my salespeople listen to the uh, values that he shares and recommends. In well, this and one of the things he said in the interview, and you and I have talked about this before, is sometimes you have to have a third party come in and tell people the exact same things you've been telling them for them to get it. And I think, Bob, you know, especially in the interview, but also in the book, really resonates some of the values we've tried to impart to our sales teams. And, you know, for them to hear it on as a from a third party, I think would really resonate with them to say, hey, these guys aren't as off their rocker as I thought. There is some value to this. And for those of you that don't care to read, want to watch it on a video or hear the tape or whatever it might be, I lead the list for that as a guy who doesn't really like to read. But I read that book in one day. Mm -hmm. You gave it to me, and I think the next day I gave it back to you. And it was uh, fun. It's a, a story. Uh involving characters that you get to follow and the recommendations that they have and that, uh, well, I don't want to tell you about the book. You need to get it. You should read it. You should pass it around with your uh, members of your staff. That will do it for this episode of the Biz Tools Podcast. We hope that you found the information today useful for your business. If you have any questions, please post them on the comment section of the show notes, and we'll do our best to answer them. The show notes for this and all of our episodes are available at biztoolspodcast.com. That's B-I-Z, 
tooolspodcast.com. You can also subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. If you have an iPhone and you just don't know how to subscribe to a podcast, we've posted a helpful video to show you how. It's also at biztoolspodcast.com. We'd love for you to rate our podcast on iTunes so that more people will know all about it. Until next time. Remember, applied knowledge is power. Be the leader you were always meant to be. So long, everyone. 